Let's return in our Bibles to Romans 15. The epistle of Paul to the church in Rome, the 15th chapter. I'm thankful to see and to hear and to sense and to know that many are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll trust that the song we just sang fulfills this ninth verse and made its way into heaven, into the presence of God. Verse 8 of Romans 15. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and. And that's where we want to take up in this ninth verse. And. There's something that he came to do more than to bear truth, bear witness to the truth of God to the Jewish nation. There's more that he came to do than to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. There's a particular branch of those promises that he came to fulfill and it involves us Gentiles. When we look at that eighth verse, And we see the Jewish church, and we think about the church at Rome and half of that church being very Jewish in their circumcision, Jewish in their cultural traditions, Jewish in their religion, Jewish in their nation. We we know that they would have appreciated that verse, and that verse was very true about them. But the apostle is going to bring us in, in the next four verses following that one. When we look at verse 8, And we see that Jesus was a minister of the circumcision. That means He was not a preacher for us. He was not a preacher to us. He was a preacher to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And He told His apostles not to go astray into the paths of the Gentiles. And we read that to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. What do our fathers have to show for themselves? I mean our ancient fathers. Stonehenge. Is that what our fathers have to show for themselves as Stonehenge of England? We trace back, and the farther back we go, the more ignorant they were. If you can say that. But you look at this generation, you say, no, I think they become more ignorant. It doesn't matter. It's a contest in ignorance. Because they didn't know anything about the truth of God. They didn't have any promises from God, our Gentile fathers. But the Lord Jesus Christ came. And after 30 verses on Christian liberty, we have the words, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and, and, this is why Jesus Christ came, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So the Apostle Paul is telling the church at Rome, there's two, the, the congregation is split. I know that half of you are Jews. I know that half of you are Gentiles. You Jews, look at what verse 8 says. And verses 9 through 12, look at what those verses say to you Gentiles. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has done both. He was the preacher to the Jews. He did bring the truth of God and bear witness to it. He did confirm the promises made to the fathers, but He also by His death on the cross and the shedding of His blood tore down the wall of division that was between Jews and Gentiles to take both and make one body of them, and that is our church. And that is the church at Rome, and that is every local church, and that is the combination of all the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Because the Lord Jesus Christ did that as well, bringing us Gentiles in by His shed blood and tearing down the distinctions and giving us a place in the kingdom of heaven equal to any Jew that has ever lived. As He's about to explain to us in very brief terms, but repetitive terms, as He quotes four passages of Scripture to convince the Jews to receive the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't have much problem receiving the Jews because the Gentiles, though the Jews were weak, the Gentiles knew that the Jews were God's chosen people. They knew that verse 8 was correct. It's the Jews that tended to overlook verses 9 through 12. And the fastest way to persuade a Jew in cases like this would be to remind them from the Scriptures that God had spoken about the Gentiles joining them in the worship of God. Verse 9 tells us, and, 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 that's the most important word if you want to understand those five verses. The Apostle is bringing two groups together. The Jews in verse 8, the Gentiles in 9 through 12. And Jesus did both. Jesus was a minister of the circumcision, and Jesus did a great work for Gentiles by dying on the cross for us, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. The dest- your destiny as a Gentile is to glorify God for His mercy. Amen. And we had a wonderful demonstration of it today, didn't we? Amen. By God's providential timing, our Gentile brother from down under, down under, on the other side of the earth, was laid up in his sickbed last Lord's Day, so he couldn't be here until today. The things you heard from his mouth and from his heart and from his mind, do they fit better today than they would have last Lord's Day? Indeed so. Thank you, Lord, for your providential arrangement in all of our lives and for the sake of the whole church. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. What God? The God of the Bible. The God of the Jews, Jehovah, the Lord God of heaven and earth, the true and living God, that God, Gentiles would glorify. Why would they glorify Him? Why would they glorify Him? If they glorified Him, then He's accepting their worship. When would Jehovah accept the worship of Gentiles? What Gentiles would want to worship Jehovah? What Gentiles would know how to worship Jehovah? How does all that take place? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the minister of the circumcision for the promises made to the fathers, but He also brought the Gentiles in by breaking down the middle wall of partition between us and commissioning apostles to go preach to the uttermost parts of the earth where even we could hear the joyful sound. And that the Gentiles might glorify God. Together, in the church, Jews and Gentiles glorifying God with the truth of God, with the promises made to the fathers, confirmed and fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Four quotations. The apostle, bang, 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 hits the Jews up with their own Bible about us Gentiles joining them in the church, and there shouldn't be any division by the Jews sitting on one side, the Gentiles on the other, or any other way in which they showed that division. The first quotation here in verse 9 is taken from Psalm 18 and verse 49, as it is written. There was There's so much mercy in this matter. Do you all understand that? When you think about our fathers, when you think about how much truth the Gentiles had, or should we express that differently? 
how little truth the Gentiles had. It's all of mercy that we would be included to glorify God, that we would know anything about God. We have just heard words to the effect that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his, showeth his handiwork. Every day of our lives we've been preached to and we have rejected the sermon as a race, group, nation of people back for 6,000 years. But somehow God changed some Gentiles, revealed Himself to them, and made their worship acceptable. Do you know how? 1 Peter 2.5 That Gentiles and anyone could offer up sacrifices acceptable to God. How do sacrifices get acceptable to God? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Every bit of worship that we ever give God is tainted, is marred, is spotted with our sins. It never makes it from a 100% pure, undiluted, unvarnished, unspotted conscience. It never comes out with perfect words. We have lives that do not back it up perfectly. But all of our worship, even as Gentiles, is made acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.5 teaches that. But I want to share another prophecy with you that I wasn't able to earlier. I read this about the Lord Jesus Christ in Malachi chapter 3. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist coming before the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 3 says, He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. There's a whole new priesthood coming according to Malachi 3, 3. And God is going to purify those new priests as gold and silver is purified. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Solomon killed 120,000 sheep and 22,000 oxen to dedicate the temple that he built to the glory of God. Exceedingly magnificent sacrifice. But do you know what? God has purified us to be kings and priests in the sight of God and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by His shed blood and His perfect righteousness that covers everything we do. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Our worship to God is equal to all of that through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's better than that in some respects, but it's made equal. You're the purified sons of Levi. You're kings and priests to God, you Gentile dogs. You uncircumcised dogs. Praise His name. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy because it was so much mercy on them. They were outside the commonwealth of Israel. They had no right. They had no, they had no family tree. They had no claim. They had no fathers. They had no word. It was all to the Jews. But we've been grafted and blessed abundantly. Thank you, Lord. The first one's from Psalm 18 and verse 49. In Psalm 18 and 49, and if it's in Psalm 18, that means it's also in 2 Samuel 22, doesn't it? You knew that, but I thought I'd say it anyway. Psalm 18 is so good in the annals of Scripture that God had it in the Bible twice, as well as in in 2 Samuel 22. Therefore, Psalm 18, 49 has it this way, Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, 
and sing praises unto thy name. Now look at verse 9 of Romans 15. And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. To confess to God is to give thanks to God by comparing Psalm 1849 to this verse. But if we continue to compare Psalm 1849 to this verse, what is intended by the word Gentiles in David's quotation? What does God call you by David in Psalm 1849? It starts with H. Heathen. You heathen. Indeed we were. Indeed we were. Offering children like Joseph in sacrifice to our pagan idols. Indeed, we were heathen. But here the Apostle Paul gives us light in the Old Testament. When you're reading the Old Testament and you read about the peoples, you read about nations, you read about the heathen, you read about the isles, you read about other words like that, it is referring to the Gentiles. And you can find yourself in the Old Testament Scriptures. Verse 9 says it this way, and... The emphasis is on that word and because the apostle is pulling the two parts of the church at Rome together. And the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. You know, there were promises confirmed to the Jews, but the Gentiles ought to be glorifying God for his mercy because now they've been brought in right beside the Jews. John 10, 16 has been fulfilled toward them. There are other sheep that are not of this fold that I must bring, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Notice in verse 9, though, that it says, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles. From David's words, I will give thanks unto thee. We will confess that everything we have is from God. That's giving thanks. And that's what the Gentiles should be doing to the Lord. And that is the prophecy of what they would do. If you want to fulfill your destiny, and I ask you a very basic, fundamental, simple question, why in the world are you alive? There is only one way we can view our existence that gives it worth and value. And that is to fulfill 9, 10, 11, and 12. To glorify God for His mercy. To confess that all that we have are from Him. To give thanks to His holy name. To praise Him and to bless Him and to exalt Him for His mercy. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles... It's so interesting. David did have some Gentiles serving with him, but they were a very small minority. But as David gets to the end of Psalm 18, his psalm turns into prophecy. As in the last couple of verses, David picks up the Lord Jesus Christ and moves all the way into the New Testament that there would be joint worship because it says, I will do this among the Gentiles. That Jews and Gentiles are going to be brought together. The Lord Jesus Christ walks among the candlestick of churches that had Jews and Gentiles coming together and blessing their praise of Him. It's teaching united worship, and that ought to be taking place at Rome, and it ought to be taking place at here. We don't have the Gentile-Jew distinctions, but we want to get rid of every other difference that might hinder our worship from God. But notice what also it says in verse 9. It says, I will sing unto thy name. Sing praise unto thy name. David was a singer and musician second to none. He led or assigned the, leader, the leadership of worship under the Old Testament. But notice that singing here is mentioned. Singing is the music of the New Testament church. It's the only form of music mentioned in it. Singing. The songs that we just sang today, 
The hymns that we've sung today, there were words being communicated. Someone banging on a piano. It may take skill. It may take a gift. It may take much training. You may like to tinkle upon your ears, but there are no words communicated. You say, but it's accompanying words. That has nothing to do with it because the words must be sung. You're just listening to noise. And in the average church today, they don't fulfill this very well because even in good churches, the piano and the organ or the praise band or other instrumentation that they use drowns out the singing because no one really sings. They don't appreciate the value and the preeminence of singing in the New Testament church. Some of those words that we sung were wonderful. We were expressing praise to God as Gentiles that God has had mercy upon us. A piano cannot do that. And a person on the piano cannot do that. A person on a piano cannot teach, exhort, and instruct in doctrine. They cannot admonish us. It's through singing. And so it's taught right here in Romans 15.9. And I can promise you something. There wasn't a guitar in the church at Rome. I can promise you another thing. There was no snare drum. Another, no piano. Another, no organ. They sang. And the fact that these two could come together and sing. Can you imagine if if they had the proper effect to these five verses of joining in the aisle and worshiping God with their lips together? Jew, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. Gentile, praising the Lord Jesus Christ. One for confirming the promises made to the fathers. The other for bringing in the Gentiles and breaking down the wall of partition between the two of them. When we sing, when we sing, it is your destiny. Why are you alive? Why do you eat? Why do you pollute our air by breathing? We all want to have one purpose. The glory of God. Everything that we can possibly do, turn to the glory of God. Turn to the glory of God. This is the purpose of Gentiles. It's the purpose of all men. It's the purpose of Jew and Gentile. The Lord hath made all things for Himself. He is incredibly selfish because He's God. And when we refer to Him as being selfish, it is perfectly noble, right, virtuous, and of infinite holiness. Because He is God. I am that I am. You are what I made to worship what I am. Do you love that role in your existence? I love that role. I am so thankful that I have existence. And as long as it lasts, we should want to praise Him. And all us Gentiles should want to praise Him for His mercy, that He has included us. There has been this little trail of the sons of God from the beginning. The first two boys born, only one was a son of God. The other was a son of the devil. The son of the devil killed the son of God. Adam and Eve went to bed again, and she had another man. I have gotten another man from the Lord to replace Abel. And Seth, and then Enos, and men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And there were sons of God, and there's this little trail coming down through history of the sons of God. It's a little trail. Few there be that find it. It's a little trail. It's the elect but it comes all the way down through history. And here when it comes, it's reached all the way to us, us Gentiles, who were so far out of that path as it descended from Noah through the Shem. And here we are, children of Japheth. 
We don't belong. We're outside the commonwealth of Israel. We're strangers from the covenants of pro- the covenants of what? Promise. Promise. Right. Oh, so those promises weren't. There, there's little appearance of them being for us. But now they're ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise His glorious, wonderful yes. name. But we have to sing, brethren. When we, when I'm on vacation and I have the opportunity, I love to get into other churches and try to listen to their singing. You know, and listen, there's nothing to hear about me when I'm singing, but it's so funny to have everybody want to come back and talk to me after a, after a service and they say, you ought to be in the choir. You have such a voice. No, I was just the only one singing. They don't sing anymore because the instrumentation has drowned it all out and it hasn't been taught to them the importance of singing. What's been taught to them is the importance of playing and the people who like to sing join the choir so that there's this, there's this little tiny microcosm of the church up behind the, the pulpit. They do the singing. But this is what we all do, brethren. Right. It's in verse. It's in 9. It's the last part of 9. And sing unto thy name. What did the Lord Jesus Christ save us for? To sing unto His name. To sing unto His name. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my Sovereign die. Would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? Who are the worms in the Word of God? Us Gentiles. And we just sang it. Do you love to sing? It doesn't matter whether you have the gift or the ability or the training to sing. Just model, make some modulations with your vocal cords and let out a tone to accompany your words and your singing. But it's the words that count. And we want to be thankful. We want to understand this scripture by David. Psalm 18, verse 49. For this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. It's a prophecy about this church. It was a prophecy about Rome and the combination of Jews and Gentiles there. Verse 10. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. This is out of Deuteronomy chapter 32. It is the most amazing prophecy. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is a prophecy of warning of the terror of God that He will tear His nation of Israel to shreds if they don't obey Him. And He knows they're not going to obey Him. So it's not just a threat or a warning. It is a promise and a prophecy. But in the middle of it, in the 43rd verse, it says this, Rejoice, O ye nations, with His people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Who were his adversaries? The Jews. Who were his people that were left? The elect of the Jews. Did he shorten the days so that even the elect would be saved? Absolutely he did. Matthew chapter 24. But it's a, Deuteronomy 32 just lights me up to go find a promise about the Gentiles in this most severe and terrible warning from Moses to Israel about how God is going to judge that nation for their disobedience. But remember, we wouldn't have the kingdom of God if it weren't for the disobedience of the Jews. It was the disobedience of the Jews that God cut them off and grafted us in. He took the vineyard away from them and gave it to us. Brother Chris reminded me at break time, they shall come from the east, the west, the north, and the south, and sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of God. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In the middle of all the horror of Deuteronomy 32, God promising judgment upon Israel, there are these words. Rejoice, 
O ye nations, with his people. In Romans 15.10 it is, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. With his people. It's joined worship. Do you see the Apostle Paul? Can you pretend you're at Rome and seeing the two parts of the congregation being pulled together? You know, we don't have that here. So we just have to apply it to ourselves. And so I ask you again, what are you alive for? To rejoice with His people. To rejoice with all those who have gone before us. To sing the Psalms. When we sing a Psalm, and when we have a Psalm read to us, we're told to do it in Ephesians chapter 5 and Colossians chapter 3. But you know what we're doing when we do it? We're rejoicing with David. Is that pretty good? Is that good company to be in when you're rejoicing with David? Because we're singing praise to God using David's psalms. What did God save you for? Did God save you so you would not get burned in hellfire that you so well deserve? That is not why God saved you or you'd have saved everybody that way. And God didn't save you to keep you out of hellfire. God saved you to keep you out of hellfire so that you would praise His mercy forever. And so we want to do that now. This is the personal and spiritual destiny for which you were created. Who's going to fulfill it the best? It's in these four verses. Jesus Christ came for certain things for the Jews in verse 8. Verse 9 tells us that Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Let's talk about it. Let's write about it. Let's sing about it. Let's press for it to be in our pulpit. Everything turned to the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of God. Verse 10, and again he saith from Deuteronomy, Rejoice! Ye Gentiles with His people. United worship. Verse 11, and again. Now I love it when the Bible just has to do this. Hebrews chapter 1 is the same way. Paul just quoting Scripture after Scripture to prove his point. Hey brother, you were watching Joel Osteen recently. How many Scriptures did he quote? Was he going, and again, and again? I know. (laughs) He never has to use the words and or again. And he writes his sermon out ahead of time, so it's not that he forgot. He memorizes every single word of every single sermon that comes from the lips of Joel Osteen. That's why there's no scripture in it, because he carefully sat down and wrote it all out, so that there was no scripture in it. Did we just hear something that was kind of written out that had a little bit of scripture in it? Amen. I lost count at 135 texts. What did, what did you, anybody else get a number? Praise the Lord. And again, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud Him, all ye people. Oh, the Jews are hearing prophet verses pulled out of the Scriptures and used against them. That is Psalm 117 and verse 1. Another psalm pulled forward by the Apostle Paul to prove to the Jews that the Gentiles belonged right beside them. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles. All you saved Gentiles, praise Him. Do you love to praise the Lord and tell of His excellent greatness? Verse 12, And again, Isaiah saith, this is Isaiah 11, verse 10, listen to these words, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Here's what it sounds like in Isaiah 11, 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Trust in him, his rest glorious. Rise to reign over the Gentiles, there shall be an ensign out of the house of David, and to it the Gentiles shall seek. 
What is an ensign? It is a banner, a symbol, a coat of arms showing the royal house to which it belongs and the dignity of the person or office. And the gospel of Jesus Christ declares the cross of Calvary and the Lord Jesus Christ as the ensign of David's house. He is the son of David. And the Gentiles have sought to it. And when they have sought to it, they have found rest. And the rest was glorious. And they put their trust in Him. The twelfth verse from Isaiah 11. Do you know and do you understand that the circles that many of us came from in fundamentalist Baptist Christianity believe that Jesus Christ has not yet sat down on the throne of David, that that does not occur until the millennium on this earth when He's going to sit on some little rinky-dink throne over in the Middle East on that piece of barren sand at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. They deny the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, though the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. Since Daniel 2.44 said, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. They overlooked the fact that in Luke chapter 11 and verse 21, Jesus said, If I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt... The kingdom of God has come unto you. When Jesus Christ that I know from this Bible ascended up out of this atmosphere, He arrived in the presence of God and took the book out of the throne of Him that sat on the throne and sat down in His own throne at His right hand. He said so in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 21 that if you will be an overcomer, you may sit down with me in my throne even as I have received of my Father and am set down with Him in His throne. He is the Son of David and He has been since He entered Jerusalem with the children crying Hosanna to the Son of David riding like a king on the ass and the foal of an ass fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah. I look at these words. They take away the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ from us. They take away the glory of the root of Jesse. They talk about some future time when there's going to be 144,000 Jewish missionaries that are going to be running around the globe during the 1,000-year millennium and are going to get Gentiles converted to fulfill verses like this. Is the Apostle Paul using this verse for something that is still 3,000 years away? Or is he using it for something that was true in the church at Rome that he wanted to press them to do? You say, but it says there shall. That's why I write you updates. Do you think I write you updates because I don't have anything to do and I'm trying to squeeze it in between rounds of golf? I write you updates to help you. I write you updates to teach you. By any means that I can think of to teach you. There shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles trust. It's all future tense, Pastor. How can you say it was fulfilled in Paul's day? It's all future tense. Do you understand the simple point called prophetic perspective? This is from Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 10. To Isaiah it was future tense. Paul just quotes him correctly using the future tense verbs shall, shall, and shall. How about if we go back to the previous verse? 11 or or 10 or 9. And in verse 9, we have future tenses again. I will confess to thee. 
It's only future tense to Isaiah. It was present tense to Paul. It's past tense and present tense to us. This has been going on for 2,000 years that Gentiles have sought to the ensign of the house of David found in the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth biologically through through Nathan, legally through Solomon, twice through the house of David is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ensign. The gospel presented it to the Gentiles and the Gentiles believed it and loved it and sought to it and found rest. I know what time it is and the time really bothers me, but it doesn't bother me very much. So really and very much are not the same. Look at Acts chapter 15. Please turn to Acts 15 with me and please call upon your memories for a Wednesday night Bible study done maybe a year ago about dispensationalism's most important verse in the Bible. Schofield says this is the most important verse in the Bible for his scheme of Jewish fables that put everything out in the future. Right here. We're about to hit it. He says. I didn't. He said. And it's, it's, a, it's, like, it's like a synonym to Romans 15.12. It's so close in its correspondence to Romans 15.12. What's Acts chapter 15 about? Pharisees that had been converted wanted to press circumcision in the law of Moses on converted Gentiles. And so Paul had to come down from Antioch of Syria to Jerusalem, and there's this huge church council. Peter starts off by explaining, God chose me to open the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. And when he was done telling them about Cornelius and his household, then Paul and Barnabas took up. Paul and Barnabas explained all the things that God had done through them with Gentiles. And then when they were done, James speaks up, the head of the church at Jerusalem, the lead pastor. Verse 13, And after they had held their peace, that's Paul and Barnabas, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter, he got this thing started. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Cornelius, the house of Cornelius. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. That's the end of the quotation. Then James adds, known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. When's the house of David going to be rebuilt? With whom is the house of David going to be rebuilt? Jews in the Middle East? Gentiles. When was it rebuilt? In the days of the apostles. Who was raised up to reign over it? The root of Jesse. And they want to take away the kingdom of God. They want to take away the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder they want that long-haired hermaphrodite, John Lennon look-alike, Charles Manson look-alike, standing and knocking for entrance into some door. My Lord Jesus Christ opens and no man shuts. And when he shuts, no man opens. And he has the keys of hell and of death. You think he has a problem getting through a door? 
You say, well, isn't he knocking at a door in Revelation 3.20? That isn't for eternal life, and that isn't to establish his kingship. It's out of kindness to you to establish personal, intimate communion in the secret compartments of his pavilion. Right. That's the king we worship. Don't ever forget these passages, please. Don't ever let there be a dispensationalist or a premillennialist come among us who think that there is some future glory age for the Jews of a thousand years. The reign of the Lord Jesus Christ commenced when he ascended up into heaven and sat down at God's right hand. The apostles at the council of Jerusalem declared it so that the Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom of David being rebuilt was happening right then with Gentile conversions. Because it says so, Gentiles. And when did this happen? And somebody will say, but pastor, I I see the future tense in verse 16. I will return and will build and I will build again and I will set it up. That's future tense. Of course it is. Amos is writing this prophecy and James is quoting it correctly. Does that bother you that men in the New Testament quote the Old Testament correctly? That's prophetic perspective. And people run right over it and see the future tense. And everything, everything is out there, out there, out there. I'm thankful that we get to worship the Lord Jesus Christ today. And He is King today and He has been for 2,000 years. And He's the Son of David and He's called David in the Bible. Have you put your trust in Him? What is His rest? His rest is glorious. If you go read Isaiah 11.10, His rest is glorious. With no time, Hebrews chapters 3 and chapter 4 document a rest given to Israel and then another rest. The first rest that it's focused on was the land of Canaan. Israel refused to take it because they were afraid of the giants. And so God swore in his wrath that they would not be able to get any of his rest. And he killed every single one of them except Joshua and Caleb. You don't want to take my rest when I offer it? He killed them all except two. But Paul said, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There's another rest. Because the rest is promised in Psalm 95, and Psalm 95 comes long after Canaan. There's another rest. It's just what Paul says, just like that too. There's another rest. So the rest wasn't the Jewish Sabbath day. The rest wasn't Canaan. The rest is not heaven. The rest is the gospel rest of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they come to the ensign of David's house, and they seek to it, and they find rest for their souls. It's called the rest. In Hebrews chapter 4, what's it a rest from? All our works. Because Jesus Christ finished His work, and eternal life has been secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. We can rest from all our works through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. His rest is glorious. Have you trusted in Him? If you've trusted in Him, then that means you believe what He has said and you believe everything that He declares about the Gentiles being brought in, everything He has said about the Lord Jesus Christ paying for every sin, past, present, and future. You should want to glorify Him. You should want to laud Him. You should want to confess His name. You should want to sing unto His name. So let's do that. Amen. Amen. And amen.